views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today, or Cubist, a podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. This program is produced by the TBI Center of Excellence, or TBI-COE. I'm your host today, Amanda Gano. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Donald Marion. Dr. Marion is a neurosurgeon and TBI subject matter expert at TBI-COE. Don and I will discuss a study entitled, A Review of Implementation Concepts and Strategies Surrounding Traumatic Brain Injury Clinical Care Guidelines by Angela Lumba-Brown and colleagues and published in the Journal of Neurotrauma, December of 2021. Hi, Don, and thanks for bringing this article to our attention today. Could you tell us a little bit about this study? Sure, and good morning, Amanda. I think this is a, a very interesting article and, you know, one that I was really excited to discuss Amanda, in the late 1980s, the Department of Health and Human Services Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, or AHRQ, found that the quality of care and outcomes for common illnesses varied a great deal throughout the United States. They also found a relationship between the outcomes and the ways in which patients were treated or or the medical procedures that were done. So, for example, Amanda, some medical and surgical practices resulted in better outcomes, while other practices led to worse outcomes. Believing that best practices could result in improved outcomes for all patients, the AHRQ recommended that each medical specialty develop evidence-based guidelines for evaluating and treating common diseases, and it prescribed a process to develop those guidelines. So in 1995, a group of neurosurgeons, of which I'm proud to say I was one, published the first evidence-based guidelines for managing severe TBI following HRQ recommendations. Since then, several organizations, including TBI-COE, have published guidelines for TBI and concussion evaluation and management. Some new reports indicate that implementing evidence-based guidelines for severe TBI may have led to significant reductions in the rate of mortality and morbidity. However, Amanda, during the past 10 to 20 years, concerns grew that these guidelines were not widely evident in the clinical practice of physicians, hospitals, or clinics. For example, a survey of 250 U.S. trauma centers found that only one-third of the centers followed a key recommendation to monitor increased intracranial pressure from the guidelines for severe TBI. A 2016 study found pre-hospital care had a particularly low rate of guideline adherence, 26% compared with 85% in the emergency department setting. The current study we're talking about right now is attempting to define some of the issues limiting the widespread adoption and implementation of the existing TBI guidelines and some possible solutions. I am particularly impressed that the study's authors include two representatives of the military, Captain Scott Pine, former director of TBI-COE, and Dr. David Sifu at the Richmond VA. That's really interesting, Don. I wonder, are there a lot of these evidence-based guidelines for TBI, and could that be a possible reason? There are at least 15 evidence-based guidelines, Amanda, for TBI that are published by the Joint Trauma System, TBI-COE, and other organizations. Wow, okay. So what did this particular study find were reasons for failure to adopt TBI guidelines? 
Barriers to individual clinicians implementing guidelines included concerns with the strength of the evidence supporting guidelines and with guidelines quality. For example, none of the specific guidelines for managing severe TBI that are published by the Brain Trauma Foundation are actually supported by randomized clinical trials or class one evidence. And in fact, most of the guidelines are only supported by class three or the lowest quality of evidence. So there's that concern. Also, there are concerns with the complexity involved in implementing guideline recommendations, the limited time and resources for clinical implementation, and concerns with the clarity, detail, and clinical applicability of their recommendations. The implementation of guidelines within a given healthcare system appears to depend on where patients entered the system, for example, primary care, specialty care, or emergency department. Organizational factors such as reimbursement, provider caseload, and time constraints also affect guideline adherence. Patients treated in a level one trauma center or who live in a country with a high standard of living have a better chance of receiving care consistent with guideline recommendations. Amanda, the unfortunate reality is that even though the majority of TBI deaths occur in low and middle income countries, high income countries often develop these guidelines based on resources only available in the high-income countries and not available in low-income countries. I mean, that seems like it's a very complicated issue, these barriers for implementing these guidelines. What do the authors suggest to be done to improve guideline implementation and compliance? Well, Amanda, you're correct. And the causes are certainly multifactorial. They include a wide range of individual, patient, clinician, and healthcare systems-based issues, as well as geographical issues that limit adopting or implementing TBI guidelines. Previous approaches involved knowledge transfer models that incorporated dissemination strategies, clinical tools, and clinical constructs. In the case of severe TBI, the American College of Surgeons mandated that evidence-based guidelines developed by the Brain Trauma Foundation be utilized in order for trauma centers to be verified by the American College of Surgeons. But despite that mandate, only an estimated one-third of trauma centers currently comply. One thing appears obvious. Current didactic education and passive dissemination strategies or ineffective. In addition to traditional printed media, such as newspapers and periodicals, emerging knowledge transfer strategies should involve the interactive use of social media, mobile device apps, websites, and video games. The authors of this article developed 12 specific recommendations. First, introduce strategies and tools that identify limitations to implementing scientific study results. Discuss potential implementation barriers and suggest strategies for addressing them in future guidelines. Collaborate on implementation with scientists developing clinical trials and guidelines. Adapt guidelines to address injury severity and chronicity as well as varying demographics. Encourage implementation science studies that apply to TBI or that incorporate implementation planning relevant to TBI or both. Identify potential implementation barriers and suggest strategies for addressing them in future reports. Include a variety of user-friendly materials to support study implementation. Develop improvement strategies for the next iteration or update. 
develop a centrally managed patient research registry with a framework that facilitates scientific access and funding, and foster effective partnerships of government and non-government agencies to reduce silos and ensure coordinated approaches to research and disseminating its findings. Create funding efforts geared towards studies using implementation science to translate study outcomes and propose legislation that removes the administrative barriers delaying success in research. Wow, Don. So that's a lot of information to take in. And there are a lot of different recommendations that could be applied to a lot of different people. So it's pretty complicated. What would you say are the key takeaways from these recommendations and from this study? Right. I agree. There's a lot of information there. But really, the key suggestions, I think, are that when designing future research aimed at informing best practices, the investigators must address strategies for implementation that must be incorporated into the design of future clinical recommendations, for example. The comprehensive strategy and action plan for warfighter brain health, I think, is a step in that direction. So future guidelines, Amanda, must address implementability. Content should consider adaptability, usability, validity, applicability, communicatability, accommodation, implementation, and evaluation. Very importantly, I think that funding agencies should require that new proposals include an implementation plan or a focus on measuring dissemination and implementation or both. And and let me just ask you, Amanda, I know that you've directed the creation of several CRs now at TBI-COE. How many times have you considered implementability in creating those CRs? We do to a limited extent, but I certainly think that it could be a process that could be improved. Absolutely. And I think I agree with you, creating an implementation plan at the beginning of the development of some of these tools or at the beginning of a research study is a great way to make sure that that gets incorporated. Well, thanks, Don. You know, that's all the time we have for today. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the articles we discuss and other relevant resources. Cubist is produced and edited by Vinnie White and was hosted today by me, Amanda Gano. It is a product of the Traumatic Brain Injury Center of Excellence, a branch of the Research Portfolio Management Division under the Research and Engineering Directorate of the Defense Health Agency, led by Branch Chief Captain Scott Coda, Medical Corps, United States Navy. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you.